I just ate that entire taco. <laughs> oh my god, that was amazing. Oh. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of think we should have that technically be our intro, and <laughs> oh my it god. shows the hard work that all we're right. putting in and all the multitasking that's required to host a podcast. So hopefully yeah, that will real. be left in. Um, <laughs> that being said, hello um, and welcome. Hi, nice to see you. Oh, oh, sorry, my bad. Let me go close the door to this bedroom so I don't get any ambient noise. Uh, if we don't keep oh. all of this, I will yeah. be furious. Give me a hug. Come here. Come on, it's Oh. Oh my God. You can feel this. I love you. I love you. Okay. I absolutely love that. We have to keep all of this in the episode. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Um, that, so I was, I came straight from the airport, basically right into basketball practice. Haven't even seen, that was my daughter, Michaela. Haven't yeah. had really seen her. She just came back from walking the dog. So had to get a squeeze, get a squeeze in of real course, quick. But of course, completely podcasting, understandable. Uh, podcasting is life. It comes Podca- first. Hey, whatever ball is life. I don't even know where that, I don't understand that, but hello and welcome to full send. With Christina Kim. And Alan Shipnuck. This is a jam-packed episode. I am coming in hot from Kiowa Island. I, I woke up this morning in South Carolina, back home in California, but still buzzing from the PGA Championship. Christina, you're in, you have a very quick turnaround between tournaments. I want to get into all that as well. So we've got golf coming out our ears right now. Yeah, no doubt. You have... I mean, I saw your mug plastered all over my television yesterday, or I should say my <laughs> phone screen. I had the PJ Championship um, streaming on my phone while my caddy Todd and I were getting in a quick practice round, practice nine at Shadow Creek, which is where we are this week in Vegas for the Bank of Hope LPGA match play, which is going to be awesome. I saw you all damn day, though. Which is great. That I mean, you had one of the best seats in the house. It's really the amazing thing about major championship golf in non-COVID times, and you have you know forty or fifty thousand people out there, and of course, especially late on Sunday, everything gets concentrated on a couple holes, right? And in this scenario, everyone wanted to watch Phil. The entire crowd was on one hole, and uh, select media. We get to be inside the rope, so we can just see what's happening and, and have a sense of of the tournament and the intimacy of it all. And it's really the greatest perk of the job is, is being able to be inside the ropes. And uh, yes, occasionally you wind up in the background on uh, the telecast. I actually try and avoid that because now people think it, it just happens. I'm always out there on, on Sundays at the big tournaments. And um, you know, whenever my mug gets splashed across the airways, uh, people on Twitter and like my, my, my homies start blowing up my phone. Like, Oh God, I got to move out of this spot because it's really, you know, first rule of being a reporter, don't make yourself the story. But anyway, um, yeah, it was, it was a quite a Sunday. I, there was this, just this element, 
it'd been so long since all of us have gotten to share an experience like that. You know, it was very communal I, because of COVID, you know, the last four majors had basically no fans. And, um, I think the people of South Carolina are, are unbridled in general, <laughs> and they were certainly, they were overserved and sunbaked. And I mean, the, the crowd was a little over the top, the entire back nine. I mean, it was just, it was getting a little rowdy and frat boy esque. And then, of course, uh, the dam just burst there on 18, and Phil literally had to fight his way through the crowd. And, you know, according to Brooks, he was almost taken out multiple times, uh, you know, his, his poor little knee. And, poor little um, it knee, was, it come was... on. Stop hating on the guy. If, you're, if you don't but, know what it's like coming back from an injury... I, I, I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm very this is, this protective is, I, of Brooks being injured. On, well, of course, but Saturday night, Brooks is like, my knee's great. It feels awesome. Like, uh, it hasn't bothered me at all. Then, you know, he, he plays poorly, loses the PGA. Like, oh, my knee's killing me. You know, oh, I got to ice if it. If you watch the way that he was um, crouching down to read his putts, I mean, there was obviously a lot of uh, compensatory movements that were taking place. I was watching it. You know, it's one of those things where you're just like, your body and your butt look weird because of the way that you're crouching down to read your putts. Like, there's, I, you know. Oh, Yeah. Clearly, he's got an issue with his knee. And it's not it fully functional. Yeah, and that's not in say, dispute. Sorry to interrupt. When you're injured, when you're in the moment, the last thing you're going to do is think about it. You know, you're going to do your best. Once you legitimately start thinking about it during a round, that, that means that it's, it's pretty worrisome. So that's what the athletes will do. Yeah. You play through the pain because especially when it's a major and, and we all know majors are the things is one of the things that Brooks lives for. You're you're you take it out of your mind because you're like, well, what the hell else am I going to do? You know, if you waste time thinking about your injury while you're out there playing, you're not focusing on the things that matter at hand. And it could be one of those things like like take Tiger at Torrey Pines, you know, like there's all kinds of stuff you know i i'm sorry we're on opposite sides of 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 this argument here oh, no I, I i basically agree with everything you're saying I, i'm just talking about brooks as a special case because you know he wants to present himself as this tough guy and all week long he's, he's grunting i'm fine it's a major i'm ready to play you know he was it's sort of this this affectation like he he, he's obviously channeling Tiger at Torrey and, and wants to burnish his legend and he, he's just going to feel no pain and he's going to play through it. And and then when he when he plays crappy on Sunday, he's like, oh, my knee's killing me. I got to ice it. Now, it was just it was he, he kind of got out of character. And I think on Sunday he was being honest and he was probably BSing us up to that. But it just made me laugh because. Brooks expends a lot of energy, you know, trying to play a certain role and definitely uh, it didn't quite work. It didn't quite work out for him on Sunday, but anyway, it's not about Brooks. It's about Phil. I mean, we got to talk about Phil. Like it was, it was unbelievable um, what he pulled off. And you know, basically, I mean, Phil's a couple years older than I am, but I, when I, when I started covering the tour in 94, he was in essentially his second full year. And I followed this guy more or less his entire career. Right. And, he, yeah, I mean, he and I have had our ups and downs interpersonally, but I've I love writing about him. I love watching him play, and it's just incredible that thirty years later, he's you know, in nineteen ninety one when he was an undergraduate, he's one of the best golfers in the world, and in in two thousand twenty one when he's an old man, he's still one of the best golfers in the world. It's just 
it's a career unlike any other. I mean, it's just phenomenal the way he's reinvented himself over and over. And there was a, a sense of impending doom that whole Sunday because it's just that course. It's just there's landmines out there. And you, everyone, just the nervous energy is Phil going to like uncork the big miss and is, is he going to, is he going to kick away everything he's, he's built you know, and, and he just, he just, he played, he just, he was tough. I mean, he didn't, he didn't play great, but he just, he was so gritty and he just managed his way around the course and he hit the shots. He absolutely had to, um, I mean, the 16th hole, that's really, you know, this lead is shrinked mm -hmm. to Brooks pumps one down the middle, 360 yards, and Phil st steps up and hits it past him, 366 at, at at 51. You know, he's a week from turning 51. And, you know, that set up, and it wasn't just for a show. I mean, that set up the birdie that really iced the tournament. And just, it was monumental performance from one of the all-time greats. And it was it was cool to be there. I mean, I was, I was the 97 Masters for Tiger. I was at the 2004 Masters for Phil's walk-off. 2019 Masters for Tiger again. And now the 21 PGA. I mean, these are all-time tournaments that will be talked about as long as golf is played. And I definitely feel you know lucky that I, I was there to bear witness to all of it. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I was glued to my phone the entire time, which I think is saying quite a lot considering I was at Shadow Creek and as opposed <laughs> yeah. to being, I was immersed in Shadow Creek and, and all of its splendor and all of its glory. But I had my, my, my ass was focused on Kiowa and it was, it was, it was amazing. There were so many things about that Sunday that, you know, it, the entire day was just filled with, with nostalgia, you know, whether it's, you know, the, you know, whether you, I mean, Phil might, I almost start calling him Neutrogena because he is age defying, you know, and mm -hmm. he played some filthy P H I L T Y shots out there, especially with everything on the line. And watching that scene on the 18th hole was uh, coming up into the green was pretty spectacular. I, uh, again, I was, um, you know, it, it, you get caught up in the fervor of it. So to an extent, I do understand at the same time, you know, and it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, son of a bitch, time and time again, people forget about Brooks. Like it, it, it's, like that, that pains me to be honest, because it's like you sit here and it's like, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of when people whinge and, and, you know, sometimes it's like, well, just keep your head down, just keep doing what you do. But you look at what he's, you know, what he's done in his career and the, the path that he's taken, um, speaking, you know, on, uh, about Brooks and you're just like, man, homie can't get no love. Like, at all, you know, so that <laughs> yeah. was pretty crazy, but it was just a remarkable day for Phil. Um, I, I was, I was, like I said, I was glued to my phone and, and I think especially as much of a golf nerd as I am, the fact that I wasn't able to allow myself to be fully immersed in the back nine of Shadow Creek says quite a lot. Yeah, it was just, it was just one of those, it was riveting. And the Phil Brooks dynamic was interesting because you know, Brooks, as we know, tries to assert his, his alpha-ness 
amongst other players. We've seen how he's hazed Bryson relentlessly and in, in delights in it. We all but delight in that, to the, be fair. If, yeah, oh yeah, no, for sure. But Phil totally flipped the script because he he was in Brooks's head. Like he was he was slow playing Brooks out there and not only just the way, you know, he's got that Phil doing this this visualization and he's like he's like, you know, Luke Skywalker trying to make, you know, tin cans float whatever and and that was driving Brooks crazy. But also as as the crowd was getting more and more out of control, that was bothering Brooks, mm-hmm. but Phil was channeling it. He he was he was pumping it into his veins, and he was playing to the crowd, and, uh, and that was just whipping them into more and more of a frenzy. And he was kind of surfing on the on the energy, uh, where whereas you know Brooks was trying to put himself back in his bubble. He was just he, trying he to tread water and penetrate. survive. Yeah, yeah, it was fascinating. I mean, it was really a, a wily old veteran who went. It was deep into his bag of tricks. And it, I don't think there's any question it, it affected Brooks, and it, it certainly helped Phil. Just carried him home, and so it was. It was fascinating at any number of mm. levels, and I, I mean, it's just. It was just fun to watch. I mean, the utter Philness of it all. You know, he some 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 crazy shots. You know, the front nine he hit two fairways. He made three bogeys. He had a double chip where he, he missed the green from 30 yards. And he, and he, but he somehow doubled his lead, you know, because he, he made just enough mm-hmm. birdies and he held in there. Pulled out then he from start, a greenside bunker yeah, on, I mean, on five, I think. On five. Yeah, the tournament felt like it was already slipping away. And that, that's going to be one of those shots you're going to see for the rest of your life because it, it, was, it was a great shot, but it was the moment, you know. It, was, it just that felt like. That was the like true turning point, was, yeah. Because that was the last yeah. hole before you came into the 14th hole. That was the last hole that was downwind. Everything else, so those holes 6 through 13, you know, because the wind had switched, you're, you're straight up, you are literally white-knuckling as hard as you can for the next, you know, seven holes, eight holes. You know, it, it's just, it, it, it could not have happened at a better time. It was just, just pure fill. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's... Like, you know, you've won tournaments. It just seems like sometimes something happens in the middle of a round where it lets you know that it's your day, right? I mean, you can, you can, you can see that even from as outside the rope. So like just a, there's just a feeling like, okay, uh, you know, Phil's looking at bogey, he makes birdie, gets the lead back. Like it just, it just had an energy to it. I mean, what is that like when, when you're the player, when, um, when that thunderbolt hits on, on, you know, working for you, like how does that feel when that, that moment just arrives? Well, when that moment arrives, it's one of those things because it's, yes, it, it can be a huge turning point in the tournament. If you let it is the thing, because if you're, you're going to be aware of it, you're going to be cognizant of it. It's it, but at the same time, it's one of those things where, you know, whether it's the golf gods, whether it's the universe, whether it's, you know, it, just you yourself and all of the synapses in your brain that are going off, you still have the ability to fuck that up. Like, it's like someone's coming over with a platter of the finest meats and cheeses or some amazing rare crudite or, you know, whatever it may be. And you answer the door and as you're reaching for it, you can either gently pick it up or you can eat shit and fall on the way down. Like it's, it's, there's nothing that is guaranteed and given 
even in a situation like that, you know? So it's one of those things where you're just like, you have to hold it so, so gently and with such reverence while still being able to maintain control and have that faith of, I, I still, I've got it. And I am going to make sure that I nurture it. I'm not going to stress anything out and I'm just going to allow it to happen. Just let it happen as opposed to, you know, like realistically, you know, we go back and we think about winged foot when Jeff Ogilvy won and he had it, he had it, but he sat on that plate of meats and cheeses when it was given to him, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And, and having gone through that, I think really allowed him, um, to understand how it's there, 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 there is that flow, you know, whether, whether he came across that epiphany, you know, tinkering with his Tibetan singing bowls or, you know, brewing his coffee that he was drinking out of his, you know, his, his own coffee, which I am, I am really interested in figuring out what's in it. Um, you know, or during, it could have happened during, you know, in one of his delusional states during his last 36 hour fast. Like it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're, you're able to reach that higher level of understanding this is mine, but I have the power to make it happen or to break it. And you almost have to let go of that control and, and trust that that is the right decision. It's all kinds fucked up. It was interesting. I talked to um, to Stuart Sink on on Saturday, kind of looking ahead to the final round, and in the context of the fans are back, there's a, a different feeling in the air. And you know, he said what, what the fans do is they when you're you're battling down the stretch just in a big tournament is it, it floods your body with adrenaline, and there's 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 two responses. It can either be fear or it can be focus. And he said, you know, in my career, I've gone both mm-hmm. ways. And um, he said, but, it, you know, it's like, it's like a rocket fuel that really powers you one way or the other. And, you know, I, I think in Phil's case, as he, he had talked so much about the focus, he kind of lost it coming home on Saturday when, you know, he, he, he almost gave the tournament back to the contenders. But I think this time he was able to take all that energy around him and, and refine it into, you know, kind of just this um, – this very special high octane fill juice that, um, that, that he used to just to bring it home. And it was, um, <laughs> that is so maybe, <laughs> maybe that's, a, maybe that's a, maybe that's a secret to his coffee. Maybe. Yeah. But, um, so anyway, I, I just thought that was insightful from Stuart sink. And, um, you know, it's definitely, that's what I, when I try to, I run across people all the time who, ask me about my job, whatever, and they're not golfers. And I, what I try and educate them on is what makes golf such fascinating theater at the highest level is that it's such an internal thing. You know, it's not a reaction sport. The ball is just sitting there mocking you and nothing's going to happen until you make it happen. And it's the ultimate mind body test. And not every sport has a mental component, but you know, things in the NBA or on the tennis court happen so fast. Mm-hmm. It's it's just reaction and it's training and it's physicality and uh, golf is so different. And to, to watch Phil just battle so hard mentally and emotionally and metaphysically, it was really, it was really fascinating because he took that mental game became so clear the way you could see him straining 
to, to visualize the shot. He wasn't going to hit it until he could see that, you know, sort of green line in his head, um, the shape of the shot. And that was the battle. I mean, he, he obviously physically, he can still do it. He can still swing the club and you can still, but he had to get his head in the right place before every shot. And you could see the effort that took. And I thought it, it was just utterly fascinating to watch him battle himself. And, uh, you know, as, as a player to, to, to watch that, um, that inner game be telecast around the world. And how, how did that, how did that hit with you? Well, so a couple of things, one, Phil juice, gross. Two, uh, I love what Stuart Sink was saying. Um, as opposed to fear versus focus, I, I, um, have the belief that on a base chemical level, fear, nervousness, excuse me, nervousness or anxiety and excitement, are chemically the same. The only thing that makes them different is the emotional attachment that you have to the situation because they both flood you with, endo- uh, with adrenaline. They both get your heart rate up. They'll oftentimes shallow out your breathing. It's just if you're coming in from a place, like Stuart said, of fear, you're going to turn that into nervousness. You're going to turn that into anxiety. If you're filled with hope, love, joy, that's going to be excitement because you're like, Fuck yeah, watch this shit. Even though your heart rate is going 198 beats a minute or whatever. Like I've had that experience uh, back when we had the uh, the U.S. Women's Open at in Bedminster, New Jersey. Um, I had to go three under in my last six holes, including a birdie on the last hole to make the cut on the number. And I was two under through the last eight holes, number or. 18. I hit a pitching wedge of about eight feet. And I, I literally, I, I, I legitimately felt my heartbeat in my ears. The sun was going down. Like I, I could not completely see the people that were in the grandstands in the back of the green. And it was a back hole location as it was. And I heard my heartbeat in my ears and hit that putt. And, and the reaction that I had once I, once I hit it and knew it was going in was honestly stronger than any celebration that I had during any of my Solheim Cup victories. And I remember walking to my caddy at the time, Kurt Malaski, and it was in 2017. So it was the first, it was the first, um, major, if I'm not mistaken, that I was wearing my whoop. And I said, bitch, I swear to God, my heart rate was near 200 on that putt. And I go back after I, I signed my card and do everything, open up my phone, and no shit, right when I was hitting that putt, my heartbeat was 198. So, one, you know, when you're, it's obviously on a much different level, and it's, it was only for a fleeting moment here or there, but to be able to get that sort of, it's like, I mean, it's like when you watch a wild, predatory cat, you see when they focus on their prey, like their, their pupils enlarge, and it's like everything goes into slow motion right before they pounce. Um, so to be able to watch that, and it was like it was one of the most sensory experiences that I've ever had watching golf. And it was, you know, it was a number of things because, like, I mean, honest to God, the camera work was incredible. I love the fact that they had the depth of view in a way where you everything was focused on Phil and it was, you know, it was like a portrait shot that we would shoot with say our iPhones or something like that. But it was, it was done in portrait mode while moving in video. And I'm like, Oh my God, I remember like the first time I feel like I saw that shit was, you know, in like 
uh, planet Earth like this. You know, you had so you had that visual sensory sort of feel that made Phil's Phil seem larger than life. And it was it was amazing. And to see that you could you could almost see the thought bubble in his head of just, you know, just like a scrambled mess. And he just sat there and waited for the mess to, to fall away until it was just flatlined. And you could just see the, the drop in the shoulders. Chin was neutral. Shoulders were back. He got his titties off his stomach, which is one thing I love to tell people about maintaining posture. And it was just absolutely incredible. And to be able to watch that, because you never see that. Like, you never saw that with Tiger. Tiger would never let you see that. You know, which in its own right is such an amazing feat and is such a great testament to the kind of player that he is. But one thing I love about Phil these days, especially since he's joined social media, um, which I've, you know, I, I have to like log on as another user to be able to watch him because apparently he's blocked me on Twitter. Um, that's so great. I don't know when this happened though. That's neither here nor there. But <laughs> the fact that he, like, like now, now it seems like we get to see the real Phil. And I love that. I sit here and I think, Bitch, where was you for the last nearly 30 years? You know, because I mean, he, and yeah. he's always been, you know, um, you know, apple pie, all American, you know, whatever, whatever, which is wonderful. But honestly, I sit here and I'm like, sweetheart, think of a, if you want to think about your branding or something like that. Like if you had truly let us into your brilliance, you could I mean, there's a good chance he could have another zero behind that bank account just on that in and of itself. And I, I, I mean, regardless, I love it that we get to catch a, or all of you people get to catch a glimpse into that now. And I just I, I love the fact that he seems so much more comfortable in himself. And I think that it is it is great. It is great. Yeah. In 2018, I spent the day with Phil at, at you know in Rancho Santa Fe, and we went to his favorite coffee joint, and we rode around in his souped-up golf cart, and we hung out at his house, and it was a cool look at his yeah. world. And I, I said, "Why are you not on social media? You would kill it." Because if, if I've been around Phil enough in intimate settings, like he's he has a razor sharp wit, and he's a he's an all-time trash talker. Mm -hmm. And he's very smart, and he has opinions on everything. And like, I there was never any question he would be a star on Twitter. And he said, "Well, when I tend to do something, I go all mm -hmm. in." He's like, "That's just my personality." He's like, "And I'm afraid that it would take over my life, and that I would have too much fun, and I'd spend, I'd waste too much time." I said, "Well, yeah, that's what we all do, Phil. That's what social media is." And um, of course, at some point he's obviously plunged in. He's been great at it, and it, it has his droll sense of humor is just perfect for that medium. And um, but yeah, what you were saying earlier, I think it was such a visceral experience watching this tournament. I mean, just the way the first few holes played out, it, it was just a, it was such a roller coaster, and and then we were all just. You know, falling back in our chairs and our couches and our golf carts and whatever it was like. Um, I mean, I was exhausted on the front nine and knowing there was still so much to go. And and the ocean course was such a great stage because it's interesting when you're out on that golf course. 
it's you know it's basically dead flat and most of the time you can't even see the ocean the way the the, the course is sculpted and the dunes and stuff um and it's 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 interesting from a, a architectural standpoint there's a lot going on in every hole but you don't have it it just doesn't project as well in, in when you're on the course because of the flatness but those drone shots and the overheads i mean it is the most visually spectacular golf course from a presentation standpoint it just looked incredible the wetlands and the ocean the dunes and the bridges and all the force carries and it just it, it had it, so much drama baked into the design from and they i thought it was a beautiful telecast like you said they they really brought it to life and and that added to the anxiety because you would see like he's got 490 yards to navigate and it just looks like like a dmz i mean there's just there's just booby traps everywhere and uh, and moats and and pits of despair and you know fill of all people having to to just tiptoe through the that that minefield that that just added to the tension of it because you know like like Harding Park obviously you can you can make bogeys out there but you can play your foul balls same you know, same with it whatever Augusta National you you can play your bad shots usually um, except not ten, and, left of ten off the tee. Yeah, no, I mean there's places you of get in course, trouble, but but yeah, I mean like you, you know Wingfoot, like you might have a tough shot, but you're gonna find your ball pretty much every time. But you know the ocean course is just so incredibly penal in his design, and that that fill of all places that that's where he had his breakthrough. It just adds to the sense of disbelief, and um, yeah, it's funny. I mean. I, I walked into into basketball practice today at Carmel High School, and you know I, I was gone most of the last week, which hurt my heart. I mean, the girls kind of you know they know what I do, and one of the players said, "Phil got the dub, huh?" It's <laughs> <laughs> like that, that. I know it's so cute, and there's usually not a lot of golf talk at 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 basketball practice with these girls, but like that's how big it was. You couldn't you couldn't escape it. It was just a, a monumental moment in sports, and. Uh, it was just a reminder of of Phil's star power and his crossover appeal, and it's all anybody. You know, I was I went from Charleston to Denver to San Jose Airport, so those are very different places mm. uh, culturally. And you know, it's not like I, people don't know me. I'm not advertising what I do. Uh, I'm just listening all around me. There's just talking about Phil. He's on the front page of all the different newspapers in these different towns and. It was it was really a, a tectonic you know kind of moment for, for the sport and uh, it, it's cool that we, we got to experience it in our own way. Oh, I agree completely. I mean, it was the opening it was the opening scene of Morning Joe on MSNBC this morning. Like I I, I think that that especially with everything going on as I weigh vaguely into the ether, you know, I think that that's huge. And yeah, you're right. I mean this last weekend for so many reasons was so transcendent beyond just one man, one golf ball, 18 holes, because it was a true sign and symbol of a slight, a closer return to normalcy with all of those people that were out there. And, and it was, it was like, you know, it, it was like watching 
um, you know, like major championships back in the day where as soon as the putt would drop, you had people that were diving into the hole to try and get the winning ball. Um, and, you know, like, you know, all these scenes from open championships when they let the ropes down and you're allowed to have, you know, that, that, that coliseum, basically, that stu- sta- uh, uh, um, surrounding of the entire putting surface as you truly watch and get this intimate look into the, the 72nd hole of a major championship, you know, it, it, it held it back to so many things. And so it was so uplifting, I think, for so many people on so many levels. And it's just incredible. And I will say real quick, talking about the the way in which Phil was able to sort of tiptoe around the guards as he was escaping Alcatraz or what have you. That's mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about Pete Dye's architecture is, you know, like when I went and played the straights in, um, you know, over at Whistling Straits a couple of years ago, like I just remember it's like there is so much sand everywhere and there's all this beautiful tall grass and there's this and there's that and it's like you're like where in the hell am i allowed to, where am i supposed to go and hit the ball and you once you actually get to the fairway you're like son of a bitch this fairway is like 40 yards wide you know and and one of the great things about what mr die um and his architecture does is like it's it, it, and and one of the words i've never played kiowa island um not yet i have not played the ocean course but one of one word that I would use to describe it is arresting. And it mm-hmm. is in potentially, you know, again, anxiety or excitement. You know, it has the, the ability to be anxiety inducing. Well, one of my favorite things about playing a Pete Dye design is the only part of the golf course that matters and the only part of the golf course that one should be concerned about is a swath of where the ball is going to cover as in the carry distance and then any potential runoffs. That's the only part, you know, and, and, and I feel like Phil did a beautiful yeah. job for the most part being cognizant of that because it's like, yeah, okay, well, sure. You've got a 490 yard par four dead into the teeth. Those first 288 yards don't matter. So it doesn't matter about all that tall grass. It doesn't matter about all these sand dunes about this, about that or anything else. No, you know, any of these penalty areas. The only thing that matters is this, you know, like 60 yard, you know, or 50 yards or however long it's going to play in terms of roll and run out from like that 289 yard to where it's going to finish. And then you go all the way across the entirety of the hole and maybe a little bit on either side because, you know, the boys are not necessarily yeah. as accurate as, as the ladies are by virtue of club head speed. Yeah. Well- yeah, I mean that was that. I mean that's a, the, a hallmark of Pete Dye is it's so many sleights of hand, and he's always trying to get your eye away from where you're supposed to go. In, in reality, as you said, I mean the fairways are generous out there, and the the greens were big, and the surrounds were not super penal. Like you could you could play shots. There's very few times that the ball rolled off somewhere where you're stone dead. Like he gives you a chance to recover. A, a lot of what's out there is just intensely visual, but as you're saying, it's not even really in play. And unless you, unless you, you, you let that fear mm-hmm. in and you start, you know, you let the course get in your head. And as you said, Phil, I mean, he, he did a fantastic job of, of keeping Pete die out of his kitchen and just, and there was plenty of green grass out there and he, he found it. I mean, to be, you know, basically number one in strokes gained off the tee is filthy. It's just unreal for, 
Yeah, it really I is. will say real quick, uh, I'm going to interrupt so, you. Sorry. So yeah. you were talking about the generosity of the fairways. And so this may be a number that would more easily correlate with, um, with you because, you know, not that you're incapable of it one day at the present moment. I don't see you carrying the ball 320 yards off the tee. Um, so no. let's just say, let's be, let's be a little on the conservative side. W- would you say a 20 yard fairway is narrow? Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So 20 yards, how many yards are there? Uh, excuse me. How many feet are there in a yard? Three. So you've got 60 feet and how many inches are there in a foot? <laughs> so you multiply 12 inches by 60 feet yeah. and equals 20 yards. And so you've got 720 inches. The, the, a golf ball is with the 1.8, one and a quarter. Yeah. 1.86. Yeah. Oh, no, there's plenty of room for it to yes, fit in if you do it right. I mean, quick, though. so in a 20 yard fairway, you can fit 427 golf balls, one golf ball comprises of less than a quarter of a single percent of a 20-yard fairway. So that being said, if you know and understand that math, you know, you, you can feel more confident knowing that one little golf ball means nothing in the grand scheme of things when it comes to a 20-yard fairway. That being said, if you miss a fairway, like, don't worry about it. It's okay. It happens. But I, I want to I impart that upon you because I want you to go up to any fairway and theoretically as long as you know like okay we're going to be playing a cut or we're going to be playing a draw or whatever it is once you can find a way to stay consistent with the swing that you're doing you dance with the girl that brought you if you need to play it 10 yards off the left edge of the fairway and fade it back in just remember one golf ball is less than a quarter percent of a 20 yard fairway that'll open up that'll (laughs) open up doors for you i promise i promise it's not to make you feel worse it's just understanding the reality and then being able to dance with the girl that brought you. If, if I'm playing a course with 20-yard fairways, I'm not going to have much fun. Like, tw- not with that kind of attitude. You won't. Come on, sweetheart. <laughs> I'm going to break you I mean, one I'm of these five days. Iron off the, <laughs> I'm going to hit five iron off every tee if it's 20 yards wide. So, so let me ask you this. Do you, you know, you're, you're in Vegas. The LPGA's got a match play event back on the schedule. And... Uh, you're all fired up watching Phil and, uh, you know, I think every golfer felt a certain jolt of inspiration, but, um, you know, match play is such a different kind of, of, of a challenge. Mm-hmm. And, um, one, one thing that was interesting. So Brendan Steele, I did an interview with him, um, about Phil and, you know, he was saying a turning point for him as a golfer was he, he plays a lot of practice rounds with Phil and, wow. Phil was often in trouble and Steele would just play a conservative shot in the green, you know, 40 feet, Phil would get up and down. And then all of a sudden, you know, for after their, after their drives, like Brendan thought he was in control of the hole and he played very conservatively, but then Phil would get up mm-hmm. and down. All of a sudden, Brendan's got this long lag putt. He'd leave himself four feet. Sometimes he'd miss it. Phil would actually win the hole. And finally, Phil said to him, listen, I am never going to give you a hole. I am never out of a hole. Your problem is that you see me in a little bit of trouble and you start playing for par. He's like, your only chance is to play for birdie. Mm -hmm. And when I'm in trouble, you need to be more aggressive because that's your opportunity to win a hole with a birdie. And, and Steele said like, that was a light bulb Mm -hmm. moment for him that, uh, especially in match play and and just in any scenario where you're, you're battling a couple guys like that, 
you have to be hyper aggressive. And so as you, as you step and shadow Creek's an interesting course, cause there's, you know, there's a lot of trouble out there too. I mean, there's a lot going on architecturally. So how is your mentality different from a match play to a stroke play event? Well, um, I would say that in golf in general, one of my main focus is, um, is to maintain presence and instead of thinking, you know, this shot on this par four on the seventh hole out of 18, like I, I parse it down even more so than a lot of people say, well, match play is 18 little, 18 individual matches. And I sit there and say, legitimately, this is the only shot that matters. Truly, this is the only shot that matters. Because if you make a bogey or you make a double or you make some other color on the scorecard, that means nothing. That only means one. That only means you lost one hole. And so for me, um, you know, and I was talking with my caddy, Todd, we, you know, he was kind of like, it's not just knowing, you know, that we have to be aggressive when we need to be aggressive and everything. It's also knowing to be smart enough. Because, I mean, realistically, I mean, the, the, the shit that Phil can do, like, there are few people on this planet that can truly do that. So he's an anomaly, and, and he's, he truly yeah. is in a world of his own. But there are going to be times when you watch someone that you're paired with that you're in a match against that you know is the one place you cannot miss it. And off they go. And it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, well, there's legit there because there are whole locations that legitimately have no chance of getting within 25, 30 feet of. And um, with the amount of slope that they have on these greens and things like that, you know, I, I, I think it's 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 about making golf as stress free as possible. And that can include having six birdies and 12 holes. You know, it's just a matter of making sure that you're executing it in a way where the ball is falling in the way that you want it to, Um, you know, you know, based on like spin rates and shot shapes and things like that, what you're supposed to be getting out of this shot, knowing where the runoffs are, knowing where you've got backstops, things like that. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's something where, yeah, you have to be hyper-focused and um, I don't know if I would go so far to say hyper-aggressive, but just be like hyper intelligent and yeah. having that intelligence when you step up on the tee, when you're hitting your approach, when you're, when you're hitting your putts, it's, it's one of those things where it, there's a little bit of a scramble mentality because like whenever I would play in a scramble and my dad used to caddy for me, you know, the first three and a half years on tour, he would always tell her, like the pro-am groups, like within the first couple holes, if someone leaves a putt short, he's like, Hey guys, par is your friend. You know um, he would say, but in this group, par is not your amigo and so he would always give them the the idea of you know give it a chance you know even if it were you know i i i have a really really good percentage of putts made inside of like four feet and inside it's something disgusting like nearly a hundred percent so for me as long as i get it within four feet of the hole like that shit going in like i ain't scared like that don't matter yeah you know so there is also comfort in knowing what some of my strengths are I'm just excited though. Like, and we get round robin. So I've got Leona McGuire, Ali Ewing, and Jennifer Cupcho in my pool, and I'm I'm just stoked. that's a good crew. Yeah, it's a great group. Um, I mean, do you? Each of those players has different strengths and weaknesses. So, do you, does that affect how you play the golf course? Um, 
like, you know, okay, one of them's longer and more likely to say, you know, birdie the par fives. Uh, one of them is never misses a fairway. And, and so uh, like, will, will their games affect decisions you make? Uh, or are you just going to try and play at the golf course the same way each day? I mean, going out there and trying to make as many birdies as possible usually isn't going to be a bad play. Like there will be obviously certain holes <laughs> where I just sit there and say, hey, you know what? If if someone's able to make a birdie on me on a 440-yard par four, I mean, hats hats off to you. You know, that is damn well earned. But one of the strengths that I feel like um, that I've learned over the years, especially by way of playing in Solheim Cups, which, by the way, 3-0 and in singles, um, <laughs> I, I'm an incredible four-ball partner because I will look my partner in the eye and I will say, sweetheart, if I'm having, you know, if I'm having a bad day, I'm going to hit 12 fairways. And worst case, I'm going to, like, this is what I did with Michelle Wee when we were in um, Rich Harvest Farms. I looked at her, I said, I'm going to hit every fairway. I'm going to hit every green. I'm going to be within 20 feet. Worst case, I'm going to make par. So, if, yeah, you got 196 yards to the hole with a 194-yard cover. You take that five iron, you play the biggest, highest cut in the fucking world. Because I've got your back. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to dink my hybrid up to about 20 feet. And then if you miss it, there's still a good chance I'm going to make the putt. So don't even worry about it. And so for me, like, I just, I, I know that I can, I'm very good at boring people to death with my golf. And then on top of that, like, you know, when, when that green light shows up, like, I'm, I'm very happy putting pedal to the metal. Yeah, I love that. It it is fascinating because I'm I'm actually playing in a, a member guest at the end of this week. Which course? And uh, it's Tehama, it's Clint Eastwood's joint in Carmel Valley. Oh, well, excuse and, me. I mean, honestly, it's not my favorite golf course. Like it's built in on these ravines, and as the story goes, um, Clint's up in a helicopter with Jack Nicholas when he's trying to pick an architect. And Jack's like, you can't build, you know, you can't build a golf course here. It's too extreme. And so Clinton goes to somebody else. Years later, Jack comes out, plays the course. Like, yeah, I was right. You can't build the golf course here. <laughs> but it's an, it's an, it's a really cool group of, of of dudes who are members out there and women too. But uh, it's it's a great hang, and it'll it'll be a fun it'll be a fun event. My partner is a ball striking Jesse. Like he is in every hole always. And so it, it, he's, he's you. And so now it puts me, it's this mental battle between trying to play aggressive and take on shots and make things happen. And then of course I can hit in the ravine. I'm out of the hole. Or do I play more conservatively, make sure or I have a chance on every hole, but um, you know, maybe it diminishes my opportunities for birdie. Like, and because my, my game is, you know, I'm not Michelle Wee. Like, there's a much wider variance shot to shot. So, uh, but I, the, the dynamics of, of team golf and, and match play and all that, it is fascinating because um, it, it takes, it just adds a whole other layer to it. And that's why, that's why we all get into it. But uh, I, I appreciate your, your, your insight on that. It, it is, it's helpful. It gives me some things to chew on and say, I will say, out there to... if you're a partner, doesn't matter if it's on the golf course, doesn't matter if it's in the bedroom, doesn't matter where, like, if you have a partner, 
Constant open communication with full, brutal honesty is everything. Ask your friend. Ask him, say, do you want me to be more aggressive? Do you want me to play smarter? Do you, you know, and also every single shot is going to have the ability to provide you with a new opportunity and a new chance, you know, and there could be some holes where you're like, dude, I got this. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like, we're going to make birdie here because I'm going to bring it. And there might be some holes where it's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to make sure that, you know, um, mistakes are minimized. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to plunk it in the fairway. I'm just going to go for the middle of the green. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try and see if we can dribble one into the hole with the last couple of rotations for, you know, this long birdie putt. I'm, I'm going to make sure that, you know, we are smart and safe in this situation. Every single shot is a new opportunity. So you don't have to go in with the same mentality every single time, you know, with every single shot. Like for oh, me, yeah. I do because I'm like, well, the fairway is like 40 yards wide. So, yeah, I'm going to try and hit it as hard as I can. It's going to be in the fairway. And then, you know, I... I Based on this whole location, I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to play a high cut, I'm going to play a high cut because I know that's going to spin. It's going to bring it back towards a hole, whatever. Or if it's like, hey, you know, it's a little bit longer. I, you know, want to make sure that I'm going to play smart. And then, hey, if I have to give myself a 30 footer to try and make birdie, then fuck it. We'll try and make birdie from 30 feet. You know, the only time, like I always sit there, I say there are so many ways to make birdie until you've already hit all of the shots and you haven't. There's so many ways to make par, you know? Oh yeah, one million percent. Well, and, and of course, there's there's another layer to that because I'm I'm gonna get eight stroke holes, and so, you know, on on those pars good, and but of course they're the hardest holes. So, uh, and the other ones, it, it does pay to be more aggressive and try to make natural birdies, and so, uh, yeah, the cost benefit analysis it it changes on every swing based on what my partner's doing, how I'm feeling, what hole we're on, and it's it's that's what makes the game so much fun. Like, there's again, there's the challenge of just executing the shot, which for a guy like me is substantial. And then there's the, the mental battle of not wanting to let your partner down. And then there's the decision-making. Um, and so it, I haven't played in, in, you know, I play, obviously most of the time I play golf, it's four, it's four people and we, we do two man teams and there's always a, a game, um, but it's pretty low and, you know, low intensity, you don't play for a lot of money, but you know, this, this member guess is like, it's really, it's a big deal for all these guys and people playing practice rounds and it's very, it's a very fancy thing. I don't play in too many of those. And so I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta have sharper my mental game. A little Just bit focus here. on you uh, and yeah. remember to be kind to yourself. That is going to be so huge. Be more forgiving of yourself. And if you miss hit a shot, just think, bitch, I'm going to get this up and down then. You know, like, again, every yeah. shot is going to present itself as a new opportunity. Um, that's one thing I noticed last yeah. week when I was in Kingsmill and I was talking with my caddy Todd about it. We had this long talk about, you know, I was, I was one, I was trying too much, and two, I wanted it too bad. But I, I came in with a, a, an attitude that I don't like, and I paid the price for it. You know, so it's all about presence. It's all about, you know, and you know that you're trying your best. You're not going to sit there and be like, okay, screw you. Yeah, I'm going to miss this fairway on purpose. Like, show <laughs> yeah. yourself some grace, show yourself some kindness. And yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the trying too hard is, is really the, the problem. There's a great quote from a golf in the kingdom, you know, Shiva's Irons is, let the nothingness into your shots. Mm. And that's a, that's a great thought. Like, because I I absolutely play my best when I just let the club go. I'm not I'm not worried about 
anything. I don't have a lot of swing thoughts and just, just let it go. And, um, it's not easy to get into that, that state of being. So go to a float tank, um, especially when there's, <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> I know, but I get some of that, you know, CBD gum that Phil's chomping on. I mean, there's, there's any number of, of ways to get there, but, um, I mean, that's, that's why this game is so, is so fascinating. And whether it's you're playing a match play event in Vegas, I'm, I'm playing this little member guest that no one little. cares about it except for, don't call it little. Well, no, but I'm saying the world at large doesn't care, but for the hundred people, whatever are there, it's like life or death for a couple for days. Sure. So and, let it be life or death. Then, yeah. And then, then you have Phil on the grandest stage of all, but in our own way, the, you, me, and him are all going through the same challenges and the same processes and the same challenge and the, the way you have to sort the information, make the decisions and, um, and that, that mind body connection, like that, that's why golf is the greatest game ever invented because you, me and Phil can sit down and talk about, and we can relate to each other in a way that's just so unique and, uh, so it's, I think that's, that's part of what, what made the PGA championship such, such a riveting theater is that, um, it was not that Phil overwhelmed with the physicality of his game, even though he has some great shots and he pumped some drives out there a long way, but it was that he conquered his own mm -hmm. mind and every golfer can relate to that on some level and can be inspired by that. And that's really my biggest takeaway from the whole thing. And so it gives me a little more um, of a game plan heading into, into this member guest where I'm, you know, my swing is my swing and I'm not going to blow it up and change it in the next three days, right? So it's really about managing my emotions, making good decisions, picking the right clubs. Dance and, with the girl that brought um, you. <laughs> exactly. And so anyway, I've been in, in all the the Monday morning quarterbacking of, of the PGA Championship and all the conversations I've been part of, or I've, I've overheard and, um, something about this win is just, has just inspired people and it's kind of brought home, um, what makes this game so unique. And so I, it's cool that we're all part of it in our own way. And, uh, we, we can all, we can all channel Phil, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, you'll, in your own way, you'll, you'll take something from his performance and apply it, apply it to your own game. And it'd be awesome if you have a run in, you know, through, through the, the bracket in Shadow Creek. I mean, that would be tremendous tremendous content for this podcast forget about you know the, what it means to your career and all that oh, like, i'll just remember uh, to keep in mind that i am tyler durden in that sense because we are i mean phil is us yeah. and we are phil in that regard yeah. yeah it's beautiful try and channel the phil juice oh, god. i know you like that term oh god i don't know if i'm going to be able to gain access to the ingredients list if i'm going to still be blocked so i don't know there's a lot to think about. So I'm going to let you go to bed because you got to play golf and, and win your match tomorrow. So um, there you go. I'm sure our listeners are feeling the same Don't way. So thanks to all of you who um, say that. Come on. If these are people that are subscribing just, to our podcast, be proud of the work that you do. Oh, for sure. I'm just saying, you know, like they may be yawning too. So I think we should release them and they can go drink their light bean espresso and, um, but anyway, I'm glad we got to talk about the PGA. I'm glad we Absolutely. got to talk about the match play. Uh, it's, it's, it's a cool little moment in our, uh, in our, our little podcast world. So, um, 
This is Alan Shipnuck, and you are... Christina Kim. (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Full Send, and we'll do it again next week as we do every week. And until then, um, try not to drink too much fill juice. Oh, Christ alive. Bye, y'all.